I'm Josh Mills. And this is John Mills. Welcome back to another episode of Acquired Tasting. It is a cocktail week. Woohoo! Yeah, we're excited to have you guys here with us on our, you know, our, what is it, every six weeks we, uh, something like we that. We run a cocktail episode. Yeah, this one, uh, this one is back to just being me and my dad. You know, the last couple have been pretty exciting because, you know, the one before this was Thanksgiving. We had Mom and Marie here. Yeah. And then the one before that was uh, when we were on uh, Straight Cut. That's right. And we were able to do it over there, which was uh, which was really cool. So, yep. But it's just uh, back to the two of us now. We've both got cocktails prepared today that are, it's going to be pretty interesting how some, how they kind of overlap a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of excited. So, Dad, what, what cocktail are you doing? Paris Between the Wars. Paris Between the Wars. Okay. And we'll kind of get into what's. What's in that? Um, Dad, how is that served? Well, I served it in, you can put it in a flute like a champagne glass. I have it in a uh, little up glass. Okay, cool. And served and up. And a lemon twist. Very cool. And then I've got the sidecar, you know, two classic cocktails mine served up as well. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, Dad, we're going to go ahead and get started with yours first. So what, why don't you go ahead and tell us, uh, what, tell us what it is again, uh, how you made it, and then we'll just kind of get into it. All right. Well, the way I thought of this one, I've never had this one. I've had it for the last couple of nights, kind of experimenting with the way I wanted to do it. But it showed up in a text from Marie uh, in some magazine. And the interesting thing about it, Josh, the measurements are in tablespoons. That's strange. Uh, I think so. Now, you know, one of our bartender friends ought to help us out here because I've never... I've never done that before, so I had to do a little conversion. So it has one and a half tablespoons. That's three quarters of an ounce of Campari. It says one and a half tablespoons of blended scotch. And in the article, they recommended Dewar's. Dewar's has a little bit of smoke. Hmm. And I tried the famous grouse, and that, that didn't work too well. Okay. The other thing I did is I used Bomar. And you know me, I doubled the scotch. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't help it. (laughs) So, uh, and then it has lemon juice. It says one tablespoon. That's like a half ounce. And then a one tablespoon, half ounce of simple syrup. And then you shake all that up with ice. And then you add an ounce of sparkling wine. Now, the one I used is a brute cava. Okay. From Fresnay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good it's a good cava coming out of coming out of Spain. Yeah. So that's not really the official recipe. So when I went online and I looked to see who came up with it, I found that it was made by a bartender called Abigail Gulo. G-U-L-L-O, and she was working on continuing the theme of the French 75, and we talked about the French 75 before. That was in the uh, Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. So the way she did it was scotch, campuri, and hard apple cider. And the way that works out is you've got scotch from Scotland, you've got campuri from Italy, mm-hmm. and then you have the green apple hard cider, or maybe it's not green apple, but hard cider 
from France. So it was Scotland, Italy, and France. I wanted, I wanted to do it with, with the champagne. So, sparkling wine. Or, yeah, or the, the cava. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's interesting. So um, why, did you do, why did you choose to double the scotch on it? Like what in your kind of when you were tasting through well, stuff? Well, you, you know me, Josh. Uh, the French 75, if you go back and listen to the episode and we talked about the French 75, that was my least favorite. Mm. And the reason it was my least favorite is because it's so sweet. Okay. So maybe if I did a French 75 with double <laughs> cognac. <Maybe. laughs> Well, cognac, yeah, I don't think that would, I don't think that would work. But I decided to the the Beaumar and doubling it up a little bit gives more of the smoky flavor, which I was really after. Okay, so you wanted to get us, you wanted to kind of take this and make it a little bit your own and get that really sure. smoky flavor That's right. going. That's right. Okay, so when you tried it with, or like when you were trying it before, was it too bitter? It really, it didn't turn out too bitter. Yeah, and I'm I'm acquiring a taste of Campari, mm-hmm. and you know it's got a little bit of a bitter taste. Yeah. <laughs> so for the <laughs> so, Campari is very bitter. So <laughs> for those of you like, don't downplay it at all. Campari is bitter. All like right. it is. Suppo- right. It's supposed to be right. like but the, bitter but, blood orange. But the simple syrup and the and the sparkling made it sweet enough. And then with the famous grouse, all of that and the three-quarter ounce of famous grouse the famous grouse was hidden mm-hmm. at least for me yeah so it, it was kind of a, just a so then i doubled the famous grouse and now i had the famous grouse but i you know i was reading more about it and i wanted to smoke okay cool bomar's not too smoky if you remember and i didn't look up what doers is doers probably 10 or something like that ppm and Bomar's maybe twenty twenty five, so it is smokier. Yeah. So this is a very. It is now a very smoke forward cocktail. Um, you know, when I smell it, I get my mm-hmm. standard smoke and iodine, fire, mossiness. Perfect. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and untraditional. Yeah, and that's just that's kind of a lot. That's all that's really there um, for me. Uh, what do you smell when you kind of go for it, Dad? Well, I get that smoke. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's it's not the uh, mezcal smoke. Mm-hmm. Now, are you saying, uh, uh, "Oops, Dad, uh, too much smoke"? I'm not saying it. I'm telling you what I'm tasting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, personally, if I had this this cocktail because of my taste, I'm not going to order it again. Okay. Because for me, it's. It's really just like all I'm really tasting is the smoke, and then the little bit of like the the apple sweetness from the uh, kava. Yeah. So it it's it's messing with my brain a little, and a little bit of the lemon messing with my brain a little bit. That's what I like to do, Josh. Mess <laughs> because, with your brain some <laughs> because it's it's kind of like it's kind of it's kind of taking me and going, okay, well, this should this should be tasting like this because it has this this and this mm, from the scotch okay, and it's like wait right, there was this, uh, right. there's this other thing over here no all i'm right. not saying it's bad all right let's pause it and we'll start over <laughs> <laughs> no it's fine no 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 definitely i well that's why i was curious of why you why you kind of did it in your progression of making the cocktail your own well that's what i did you know 
But yeah, now, good. I didn't go all the way to the floor. No, you did not. And I appreciate that. <laughs> that. That would have been way over the top for both of us. Well, maybe if you didn't double it with the LaForge. Uh, maybe. Because of how smoky it is. Maybe we'll have to been. try this uh, with the three-quarter ounce of Bomar and see how that works. Okay. Yeah. So, so. Uh, back to uh, Miss Gulio. G-U-L-L-O. She was moving from New York City. To New Orleans, and uh, she had that French seventy-five thing going, and she was uh, discussing her plans, and with one of the proprietors on the on the French Street Cocktail Lounge, and she noticed this customer, and she looked down and she noticed this guy was in a three-piece suit with a bow tie, and he looked like Atticus Finch. Okay, you know who Atticus Finch is? Yeah, from To Kill a Mockingbird. That's right. And so he, he and she got this conversation going, and so she was, she was talking to him. Now, what do you think we ought to do about the French 75? Do you want gin or cognac? And then she knew the answer, <laughs> cognac. Yeah. And so she told him cognac, and he, he goes, okay, yeah. You can be a bartender in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the big thing. And, the, you know, we talked about that a little bit in the, in the cocktail episode with, with the family is, you know, it's, a, it's the New Orleans way to make it. And, you know, for me personally, that's the, the only way to make it. Mm-hmm. And I think your mother's turning around toward it. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, she loves gin, but, right. you know, she'll, she'll break it up every once in a while. Right. So, back to the name. I never really got a real definitive answer why she named it Paris Between the Wars. But she talked about the, the Treaty of Versailles. Uh-huh. And if you remember your history, the Treaty of Versailles was the end of World War I. I mean, they'd had an armistice. And... The treaty was really the actual end of the war. Fighting had quit, but right. they they really were working on working on the the terms. Mm-hmm. And man, amazingly, I hadn't I hadn't read up on this till today. But amazingly, the terms were such that Germany had to pay the equivalent in twenty twenty one dollars. Of four hundred and something billion dollars. Yeah, so they were not happy. Right. It's you know if you actually look at look at some of the reparations that that Germany was put under, you know it's it's not that what happened was okay by mm. any means for mm-hmm. World War Two, mm-hmm. but you can definitely see the path mm-hmm. hardship that led a, led a people group to be so angry at other people. But yeah, so it's it was fascinating. The, the history is fascinating. So when did, in your research, did it kind of say when she created this? I might have missed you say that. Um, Josh, I don't think I saw a date, but I think it was pretty recent, in recent times. Let me see if I can find that. Uh, 1980, 1982 sounds like. Okay, so in the- so that's pretty recent. Well, that's a 
It's really interesting. So, you know, my my cocktail that I'm doing is a little bit, it's a classic. It's called a sidecar. Mm-hmm. When we get into kind of the story of the sidecar, you'll see there's there's quite a few similarities. Sure there is. With just the history of the cocktail itself. And the the story about between the wars, when uh, the war was over, like, you know, the armistice was in November of 1918, and then Versailles was like a month later. Paris was booming. Yeah. I mean, they were back booming. And, you know, the population was going up, and, and the movement of food and, and beverage, wines, was going back to normal. And then, of course, when the interesting thing that I found, too, was that not all of France, of course, because there was, there was factions on either side, as we've talked about before when we talked about Champagne. Mm-hmm. But the Paris and a lot of France was with the Allies in World War One. But in World War II, they're with the Germans. They were controlled. They were controlled by them. Yeah, but that yeah. they were. Well, they were that part uh, of that part of France was right, was controlled, and they were helping make the airplanes. They were making 150, where the Germans were making like 300. Well, it, yeah, because you know, in, in World War One, they never came and actually occupied Germany. Never actually came and occupied Paris. Correct. Or anything like that, but in World War Two, they did. They overtook ninety. I think it's like seventy-five to eighty percent of the country. Right. You know, with the whole Maginot Line. After you know, and then they took over. They took Paris and all the way down. I think even past Bordeaux. And we know some of that from Hogan's Hero. True. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but yeah, so it's so it's interesting. You know, ba- honestly, based on the name of this i thought the cocktail would have been a lot older i thought it may have been something that was created in between the wars because like you're talking about you have a lot of uh, stoic or historied um i can double check that but that well no i, I believe you it's not yeah but because you know campari has been around for a long long right. time right and you know scotch and sparkling well, some of the wine. research i was when i was doing it i couldn't find an answer Right. As to why it was even called what it's called. Well, it's almost like, I could, you know, I was kind of thinking, like I was saying was, you know, it's like you're saying, Paris was a melting pot. Paris was the place to be in between the wars. And so it's like bringing all this great stuff in and creating this cocktail from, from this balancing act that was Paris between the wars. I thought right. it was, that's kind of where I was expecting the name to come from. But I kind of like the story too of the, the bartender going down to New Orleans and the guy sitting there and just saying, All right. how, do you want a fr- how do you make a French 75? Well, and she passed the test. Well, yeah. Another thing that's very interesting to me is, uh, you know, the 1920s, because the war's now over. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the, the high fashion and the perfume and all the things that was going on in, in France, the Parisian, actually. Um, Coco Chanel put her own perfume together, the Chanel Number no. Five. <laughs> that was in 1920. Wow, I didn't know it was that old. I, didn't, and, I figured. And then it was she be created old. created 
the little black dress <laughs> in 1925. Yeah, you know, Paris has always been high, you know, high fashion, but definitely like you're saying, it was part of the way that Paris and kind of rejuvenated itself after both wars helped France come back stronger and quickly from mm-hmm. from the, you know, all the destruction that everything uh, happened in their in their life. So so you said Marie, Marie sent you this cocktail? Is that right? Yeah, you got the text, too. Mm-hmm. It was in a magazine that she saw. It's a good cocktail. I mean, it's growing on me. Yeah, th- th- once you get past that smoke forward, I think it's what's happening to you. Yeah, it's just kind of coming together a little bit more. It reminds me of another cocktail. Oh, what is it? So have you ever had a paper plane? No. So a paper plane is a, like a newer classic. It's got a riff on a Boulevardier that's like sweet vermouth, sweet vermouth, bourbon, and Campari. Mm-hmm. And then a paper plane adds lemon juice to it. So this kind of reminds me of what a like a paper plane would kind of be if you had the smoky scotch instead of a bourbon. And I'm sure there's a, somebody's made a name for that cocktail, but it kind of reminds me of that in that. Campari. So, if you've, ne- I mean, you've never really had Campari by itself. No. You? So in Italy, Campari is one of those things that, you know, a lot of people just drink on ice. It is. Oh, really? It is very, very bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made from blood orange rind, mm-hmm. and it is considered an aperitif. Okay. So you can drink it by itself. Because that bitterness is supposed to kind of wake up your palate, kind of wake up your body, your digestive system to say, hey, we're about to do some food here. But it's also really, really well known and um, for another cocktail called a Negroni. Mm-hmm. And it adds a super amazing bitter, bittering aspect to any cocktail. So if you have it, it's definitely something that you should have in your bar mm-hmm. or some kind of um some kind of bitter agent like this. Like there's Campari, there's Capoletti, there's um oh shoot, there's another one. Anyway, there's a there's a couple out there. Campari is one of the most famous ones, but give this a smell just just by oh, itself. Oh yeah, I smell just it. by itself. Get a sweet, bitter, yeah, kind of smell. Yeah, so it's it's really really good um to have in your bar if you want to if you take stuff that's sweet, so mm-hmm. that simple syrup, the lemon juice, the the kava, those are sweet. And to balance that out, this Campari is used to kind of balance that out and not using bitter, mm-hmm. like an actual, like dashes of bitter. So, so you know, it's a good cocktail. It's fun. And I really, I really like that you played with it and kind of made it your own. <laughs> Did you let mom taste it? She doesn't like the Bomar, so we'll be that, wasting our time. That didn't answer my question. I tried to get her to taste it, and she, you know, the first time I made it with the uh, famous grouse, I said, hey, I want you to try this. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. This would be interesting to make with gin, too. Well, that sounds sort of blasphemous, Josh. Why is it blasphemous? You changed, what if we, you changed the liquor in it, too. Well, I changed. A single malt to blended. That's yeah, very I don't, different. Yeah, right. So. But you know, it it would be it'd be an interesting. I wonder what it would be with this hard apple cider. 
Because yeah. that's really the recipe. With Yeah, with a good... That's not the recipe that was in the magazine that Marie had. But the real rep- recipe is the hard apple cider. Yeah, and you know, the type that the type that the bartender is talking about is really difficult to find, yeah. at least in Arkansas, a good Normandy cider. Mm-hmm. First of all, they are really, really good. Okay. Uh, if you can ever find a good a French cider, they're really, really good. They're nothing like Angry Orchard or Woodchuck oh, yeah. or anything right. like that. They're super dry. Mm-hmm. Very, very good apple flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, uh, it was a, it, I, I've had one, bef- I've had one in Arkansas before, but they don't, uh, they don't distribute it anymore. Oh. And it was so, so good. Well, I could go on and on and on about the time between the wars, but that's not really the point here. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that did happen is, of course, in 1929, there was a crash in New York, the stock market, well, it hit Paris in 31. And so it hit that part of the world in 31, and that might have attributed to World War II happening when it did. Right. Because there was such a depredation of the economy everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, that, that piece of history, that part of history is pretty pretty interesting to kind of go into because there's a lot that a lot that went into play to to make things happen the way they did and of course you know when the economy went like that i think the common worker would probably have trouble getting the wine that he always drank with oh. his meat oh yeah because they were they were kind of a meat wine and mm-hmm. vegetables were hard to get but they started getting the vegetables back and then the economy crashed right so it was probably pretty tough on them to have the, have their wines they wanted. Yeah. They didn't say anything in here about pastries, but we know they have good pastries. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Are you ready to slip, switch yeah, over to a, a good old classic? Yeah, I kind of sucked mine down. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is a, it's a slight twist on a classic cocktail. It's called a sidecar. Uh, this is made from cognac, uh, orange liqueur, Lemon juice, and then my slight twist on it is it's blood orange season, so I added just like a little bit of blood orange juice okay. to kind of enhance that orange. And then this is a, I half sugared the rim. So, in a little bit of the Let's history, yeah, we'll talk about like the history of the cocktail in a minute. And I only did half because the Sugared rim doesn't come in until about 15 years after the cocktail was created. So oh, okay. kind of want to give us both aspects. So I used two ounces of cognac, three quarters of an ounce of Grand Marnier. Okay. Um, you can use Contro or anything like that if you have it. Orange. Yeah. And then um, three quarters of an ounce of Meyer lemon juice and then a quarter ounce of blood orange juice. Shook it, strained it into a glass. So traditionally this is, a, this is one of those three... Three ingredient cocktails. Got a lovely smell to it. Yeah. This was actually created in. No smoke. Yeah. (laughs) No smoke. So they assumed that this was created during World War I. Okay. The the first instance of this this cocktail is it appeared in two books in 1922. Oh, okay. A little bit after the war ended. So that's why I was, 
I was interested to see, you know, if this cocktail actually, if the year cocktail actually came out between the wars because it, this cocktail was, you know, hit popular, hit popularity between the war. Mm. It's kind of debated on whether it was created in London or if it was created in Paris. Well, see, the French 75 didn't come out till 1915. Until 1915, which was right before yeah. World War I started. Before, yeah. Right before World War I started. And so this cocktail, kind of, you know, along with the French 75, was a cognac-based cocktails. And it appeared in two books, two cocktail books at the time, but originally called for equal parts of each. So. Oh, okay. Of, of all three. Yeah, of cognac, okay. um, you know, orange, orange liqueur, and lemon juice. Um, it was updated. It was updated a little bit later for the proportions that we used. I'm gonna get mine to taste them. Yeah, I could. Was it in tablespoons like mine was? No, mine was in <laughs> mine was in ounces. My my recipe was in ounces. I mean, it was a pro- probably originally in milliliters, probably or centiliters, maybe. Centiliters, yeah. Mm. But so this cocktail, it plays with that line of sweet and dry. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I really love about it. It is actually one of my cocktails that I like to drink during the winter because it has some of that warming aspect. It is, it is liquor heavy. It's liquor forward. It is um, very warming. But it's very, very balanced. Now, if you try it with a sugar rim, it's going to be a little bit more sweet just because of having the sugar there. And I have a, I have a sweet tooth, so I do enjoy the sugar rimming of it as well. You know, you talked about how the bartender was moving around. You I, know, get, I get a lot of alcohol smell with it. Well, it's majority alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, let's not, let's not lie. There are two and three quarter ounces of liquor in the. Yeah, okay. And then only an ounce of juice. Okay. Yeah, and like I said, it's, sh- it's shaken and served up. I'm serving it in a, what's called a coupe glass. Coupe glasses are the... I don't know. Uh, you know, they're classically they're actually champagne glasses. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So the original champagne glass was a coupe glass like this. It's kind of a wide bowl. If you think of, for those of you that don't know what a coupe glass is, if you've been to a Mexican restaurant and you have the really kind of shallow but really wide margarita glasses, that's right. If you take that and you shrink it down into kind of a standard cocktail cocktail glass size, uh, that would be a coupe glass. Uh, coupes were also used. In almost anything was served up, Manhattans, martinis, daiquiris, all of those would have been classically served in a coupe because coupes were the glass before there were actually V-shaped martini glasses, which were a lot harder to make and didn't really come into vogue until later. But like I said, you know, this was this was kind of creative. And you use cabassier this time? Yeah, so I use cabassier. You know, I like to use. I like to take liquors that we've had before mm-hmm. and use them in, when we get to our cocktail episodes. So, right. yeah, I use the I use the Cavassier in this because uh, I was out of the Martell and didn't get a chance to buy any more this week. But like I said, Car- Cavassier makes a great it makes a great cocktail. It's a great cocktail cognac to have because it's affordable to have. You know, thirty forty bucks a bottle, and it can sit there for a long time. You can sip it straight, but it, 
it it blends really well in a cocktail because it's not overly it's not over powerful it's not overly sweet either so now you used triple sec i used grand marnier okay which yeah grand marnier which is actually an orange flavored cognac right and what juice did you use I use three quarters of an ounce of Meyer lemon juice because it's it's the winter, it's citrus season, so you right. get some of those really good citruses, and then a quarter of an ounce of blood orange juice. Okay, the blood orange juice adds a a sweet tang that plays really well with other oranges, other orange flavors, and lemon flavors. So that's kind of why I wanted to add it, and I love blood orange juice. I love blood oranges, so I <laughs> I wanted I wanted to have it in there. So th- it. It gives you a warming flavor out right to begin with, and then the finish is quite long. Yeah. Now, the finish on the Paris Between the Wars, I found it really quick. Yeah, it, it's really quick. And this one, you know, this plays on balance. Mm-hmm. Mine wasn't balanced. You get the alcohol. <laughs> Because, because I played with Bomar. Because <laughs> you doubled the scotch. <laughs> but no, so, but you made it your own, which is, which is really, really cool. Which is what I did with the Blood and Sand when we had the episode with, with Straight Cut. Doubled the scotch. <laughs> and let's see, what, would, what, was your, what, was your, what was your cocktail on the, on the family episode? Was it Marie to the Mai Tai? No, it was the Scorpion. Oh, that's right. I didn't have to double it. I was going to say. That was over the top as it started. <laughs> I was going to say, did you double the whiskey in there? No. No. It no. had four and a half ounces of whiskey. Yeah. It was, so it was good by itself. But yeah, so this one, you know, plays on the balance. You get, like like my dad said, you get kind of that warming alcohol. You get a little bit sweet of the cognac. You get sweet from the lemon and the citrus. And then as it, as it finishes is when it starts to bitter. A mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. And that bittering at the end is really nice because it makes your mouth water. It makes you want more. Like, my mouth is watering so much right now because I love this cocktail. Now, I just tried it with the uh, sugar rim. Uh-huh. And I didn't get, you know, that bittering at the end that you described. Right. Because I had I had uh, granulated sugar in my mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why, you know. If I ever serve this, if I ever have a bar, which if you want to help me have a bar, let me know. I have a bar at home. If I, if I had my own bar, one of the things that I, if I serve this cocktail, one of my non-negotiables, unless, you know, a customer asks for it, is you only salt or you only sugar half the glass. Right. Because you want to give them the option. Because some people don't like it as sweet. Uh, some people don't like this cocktail because it is it is a sweeter. It can be a sweeter cocktail depending on how it's made. Right. Uh, but then that sugar you, that gives them the choice of if they want it or not. It always drives me crazy when I order a margarita, and I say no salt, and then here it comes back, and the whole rim is salt. <laughs> it's like I got to take my finger and wipe a spot so I can drink. Right. Well, you know, I've I've told you my trick with margaritas and, and don't salt. Make them. So you don't salt the glass; you salt the cocktail. You actually put the salt in in when you're mixing it. Yeah, if you want it, because um, it actually integrates. Tequila plays so well with salt; it's, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous how well it plays. So, what overall impressions do you do? You like it? Would you? Would yeah, you I order like it? it. This is the first time I ever had it. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's 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 sweet. It's bittering. It's got a long finish. It's warming. Mm-hmm. Be a good cocktail. Well, it's it's cold outside here in Little Rock. Yeah. It's like thirty-five. We might get some snow tonight. or less. And so, it's a good cocktail for a night like tonight. Right. And so, you know, it's called a sidecar. There's a couple, you know, as in any good, you know, historic cocktail, there's, there's a debate on where the name comes from. Some people say it refers to a sidecar, like a motorcycle sidecar. Right. And was kind of made for a particular general who would come to one of the hotels, I think it was in France, and he would, or captain or something, he would ride in the sidecar. Right. So they had this drink for him called the sidecar. But also, it could reference the bit of alcohol that's left in a shaker sometimes. You know, Mm -hmm. if you pour your glass and you actually have a little bit too much, and then you pour that into a shot glass and you you serve it next to the drink, it's considered a sidecar. sidecar. Yeah. So... That could be part of how it comes in the gla- in into uh, its name as well. Well, did it evolve from like an original sour kind of formula? Yeah, so it, it's just like a daiquiri. It is. It follows the lines of sour cocktails, whereas a daiquiri uses rum and sugar syrup mm-hmm. as a as your base and sweetener. This uses cognac and the orange liqueur as the sweetener to it. Um, And as well, this drink has made its way from Europe to the lovely place of New Orleans and kind of made a home there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say that it traveled with the French 75. Okay. So these two, you know, these two cocktails being, you know, being mostly French in origin, traveled with, you know, the French contingent that, you know, is New Orleans and found a home there amongst mm-hmm. all its other French cocktails. That's why Sidecar's French 75, um, Sazerac's, right. you know, are really big. Well, really, this, this Paris between the wars, it's kind of evolved it, the same way. Yeah, and that was, so, that was so fascinating to me when you were telling me that. I kept wanting to jump and say, no, no, that's like mine. Well, it's just if like, I'd have served years. it in a flute. It, w- it took it, after the French 75. Exactly. Yeah. That's what the French 75 is typically served in. Yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting that cocktails are still making some of the same trips, mm-hmm. you know, 40, you know, 60, 40, 50, 60 years later. And the, I cannot wait to be able to travel again and go back to New Orleans because there is, there is so much great. Might be a no podcast that week. Because we're both traveling. <laughs> or we're or, doing on location. I yeah, or, or maybe one of us is, you know, doing it somewhere, depending on who's, who's going to be less, you know, ina- yeah, hammered at the time. Hmm. <laughs> or possibly. So it'll probably be him. But yeah. So yeah, go know. to France, we'll drink French wine. Go to Italy, we'll drink Italian wine. <laughs> exactly. So it's, you know, I really want to get back because, you know, a lot of people think, you know, New Orleans is Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. You know, while Bourbon Street is a an aspect of New Orleans, it's not. Well, it's what, the iconic street that but, everybody's heard of, right? And but now it's just you know it's you know the drunken drunken show on Bourbon. But there's so much going on outside of of Bourbon 
and even outside of the French Quarter. Yeah. That can make it so great. Okay, here's, but I'm here's, excited to go here's back a dad and story <laughs> about my first trip to New Orleans. Uh-oh, here we go. Get yeah. this, get, we're getting this on record. You're getting it on tape. Well, not tape. <laughs> my grandfather worked in New Orleans. He was a plaster and lath in a big high-rise, and we went down there and to visit. My youngest aunt wasn't but about three or four years older than I am. She and I got authorized to go down. I don't know that we went to Bourbon Street, but we got authorized to go down from the hotel where we were all staying and to kind of visit New Orleans. And I was, think I was maybe 16 or 17, so that would have made her 21 or, you know, so. So we're walking down the street, bebopping down the street, and we see this gorgeous lady kind of winks at me and I'm going and my aunt's name is Jenny okay and I said Jenny I think she kind of likes me Jenny said (laughs) yes he does (laughs) so that was my first experience (laughs) wait y'all just y'all just kept walking yeah Jenny was like we Jenny was like come on no, well, we just met on the sidewalk going opposite directions. Oh, going directions. opposite directions, and, okay. And so we get almost even, and she, he winks at me. So. I think at that point, we, you know, appropriately, in 2020, or 2021 appropriately, it would have been she. That's how she was presenting, but yeah. it, he, was, he was also very interested. That was my first experience. <laughs> well, I mean, I... I have been very lucky when it comes to New Orleans that my first experiences was not my first experience in New Orleans was not anything like that. It wasn't a college experience or anything like that. My first experience was John John and Christie's wedding. Oh, okay. When we went down and that was like three couple, years ago. A couple of years ago, yeah. Um, my good friend Jordan, her brother was dating somebody at the time who grew up in New Orleans and has this list, mm-hmm. has this document of. Where to go. Where to go for breakfast, lunch, dinner, mm-hmm. happy hour, mm-hmm. brunches, like, you know, all this sorts of stuff. And majority of them are not down on bourbon and not in. No, there's a lot. Yeah. And so, because her thing is like, you know, so many people come to New Orleans and just go to bourbon. And just yeah, that's the all they know. Mm-hmm. There's so much outside. I mean, I found one of my favorite places in the entire world there. Mm-hmm. And I know. You know, I've talked about this before, but Bacchanal mm-hmm. is such an amazing place down there in New Orleans. And but anyway, I, I'm I'm ready. If you can't tell, I'm ready to go back, and I'm ready to I'm ready to get out. I'm ready to I'm ready to travel again. I'm ready to do some wine travel, some you know beer travel, liquor travel, just to just to get out again because it's uh it's been a hard time for those of us who love to travel and have been traveling for oh, a long yeah, time. That's true. I mean, I know you guys recently had a trip that had to get pushed back because of oh yeah, because of everything, and so and uh, it makes it rough. But one of the things I really like is you know, when it comes to wine, food, beer, liquor, all cocktails, all that kind of stuff, we can actually take like mini vacations with it. That's right. You know, it kind of remind when we have a French seventy, when I have a good French seventy five, I think back of having a French seventy five mm-hmm. in the Bourbon Orleans Hotel, or you mm-hmm. know, my friend Jordan when she has a really good Bloody Mary. Like a reminder of this, uh, uh, 
not simmering, not smudging, not sm- uh, smoldering. The smoldering rosemary, bloody mary that mm. she had at the at the at the same hotel, and it was, you know, those type of things. Well, you remember your mom telling about her first French seventy five? Yeah. Jeff was drinking that, and Joanne goes, "Oh, that looks good. What is it?" Mm, French seventy five, and you that know, was in New Orleans for that egg, that wedding, that same wedding. So it's a, uh, it's nice to take these little these little trips and trips in a glass, trips in a glass when we can. Yeah, we're in Paris right now. Oh yeah, we're in the Ritz Hotel in Paris. They claim to originate <laughs> sidecar. I was about to say that was that was <laughs> that was the one of the places that you know said that. Am I getting ahead of you, Josh? No, no. <laughs> I mean that's basically all. There there aren't a lot of notes about about this cocktail out there. I just I I love it because it's super balanced and like I said, it's one of my winter go tos. I'll usually do a sidecar and then go to a Sazerac, you know, kind of more of the alcohol heavy. So what's a Sazerac? You know, the a Sazerac is the recipe. So a, sa- a Sazerac is traditionally it's you take a, sh- you take a sugar cube in your mixing glass and you put some Peychaud's bitters in it. You muddle that up and then you put rye whiskey in it and you stir it. And you mix, you mix it up, and then you take a glass that's rinsed with absinthe. So you take a good absinthe or herb saint, and you rinse, it, you rinse the glass with it, and then you pour, the, you pour the, the whiskey in it and serve it with a slice of lemon, with a lemon peel, and that's it. And so it's got this, you know, Peychaud's, Peychaud's bitters is kind of a uh, medicinal Mm-hmm. kind of bitters and then the anisi of the absinthe that was one of the reasons i was able to like the tasting last week didn't take me very long is because i'm very familiar with that from a sazerac well we don't know if that's we don't I, we don't know if you're right i'm telling you that's why i was able to figure it out like it <laughs> yeah. didn't take very long i'm not saying you told me what it was already well and the i i see here i i looked it up too the it was trademarked in 1900 by Sazerac Company. Yeah, but there is a Sazerac. It's crowned the official cocktail of New Orleans in 2008. And so, if you, so we're all over, yeah, we're all we're over <laughs> New Orleans and the and uni- Paris. The universe is calling us to go to both places, right? In 2021. But no, so that's that's one of the reasons that Herb Saint. So Sazerac Rye is a New Orleans-based company that makes rye whiskey, and then Herb Saint is a New Orleans company that makes. Uh, absinthe. So if you really want to make it New Orleans, you use Herb Saint, you use Herb Saint, and you use Sazerac Rye. But I actually really like making it. I'm getting off topic now, but I really like making it with green chartreuse. Oh, it adds this floral herbaceousness because I'm not a huge fan of absinthe. Uh huh. And you just rinse the glass out. Yeah, so you put a little in there, you kind of roll it around the glass, then you dump it out. Or if you have a if you have a spray bottle like a spritzer, you can you can you can spritz the glass you can spritz the glass with it too. But it's whatever. A little bit goes a long way. A little bit goes a long, long way. Well, okay. You got some more on no, on I this think, drink. No, besides just wanting to drink it, that's that's all. That's all I got on it. It's a good drink, Josh. It's very balanced, like you said. 
And you're right. Maybe if I'd have put the three-quarter ounce of Bomar instead of the ounce and a half, it would have been more balanced. Right. All right. So uh, next week, we're going to be speaking of France. Next week, we're going to be heading to France with our wine. With our wine uh, we'll just keep our glasses in France, Josh. <laughs> exactly. I'm, t- I'm okay We'll just that. move from Paris to uh, Bordeaux. Yeah, so we're going to be doing a, an episode on Bordeaux. There is a whole bunch we can talk about in Bordeaux. Dad, what are you going to be doing next I'm, week? I'm doing uh, Chateau Graysac. Chateau Graysac from the Medoc. Yeah, it's it's... It's got a lot going on. It's a lot of, uh, it's a blended red. Yeah, we'll talk about, we'll talk about kind of what makes Bordeaux and all that. Yeah. Next week. And I'm going to be doing the Chateau Turnefeld, which is from the Lalande de Pomerol region of, of Bordeaux. It's going to be, it's going to be really exciting. I mean, um, I love, I love Bordeaux. They're really good wines. They really are. Right. And they're not, they're not all that pricey, actually. Right. Depending on what you get. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a great a uh, great episode next week, and um, we got I know I have some stories to tell because I've been able to travel to Bordeaux. That's right. But it's gonna be it's gonna be lots of fun. Well, thanks for uh, joining us again. Remember to give us a like on on all the socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us on your favorite podcast. Uh, make sure to go ahead and give us a subscribe or a follow if you really like us. And um, reach out to us. Have, a, have conversations. We'd love uh, love talk with you guys about what's going on in, um, in the world and kind of what you're drinking on. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next week. So once again, I'm Josh Mills. And this is John Mills. And we'll see you next time. Thank you and goodbye.